Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community on the important education issues of the day and to bring state leaders to you and other educational leaders. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning's edition of Conversations on New Jersey Education. Today, as usual, we will not only be taking your calls, but we also have our chat room open. I think this gives you a couple of different ways to participate if you want to participate, particularly in this show. Christy, would you um, please tell our uh, listeners how it works? I would love to. Good morning, everybody. Now, if you want to call in, just dial 1-347-989-8904. And when you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone, and that will indicate that you have something to say. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we will put you on the air. Now, if you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We'll be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass on some of the comments or questions to our speakers. To log into the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. I have been with NJSBA over 14 years, and during that entire tenure, we always poll our board members and educational leaders as to what's the number one issue, and funding is always number one. And it always has been and probably always will be. This year is no different. Uh, in the past, finding the funding formula has been a little bit uh, difficult for the state of New Jersey, finding one that's consistent, fair, and not to mention provides adequate funding to provide a thorough and efficient education. This year, Commissioner Surf has introduced some tweaks to the funding formula. Some may applaud those tweaks. Some may uh, take exception to them. Earlier this week, I spent some time in up in Sussex County where it's the latter and they have some issues with it. But I know some people have been happy with their funding this year. Today's show, we will take a look at school funding and how it affects school districts. We have four very different school districts as our guests today with various leaders from each district. And while there, there are four different districts, I know I could probably have 588 different stories about school funding. But today will be four. But if you have an issue and you want to participate, please feel free to call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one, and that will indicate to our switchboard that you want to participate. Uh, my first guest will be, uh, and this is in no particular order, um, will be Jennifer Cavallaro from. She's the board president from Swedesboro Woolrich. Jennifer, welcome. Hi. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Uh, my second guest will be uh, Mr. Ronald Lee, superintendent from the Orange School District. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, and then uh, Dr. Charles. Marizano from the superintendent from Hopacon School District. Morning, morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, and also uh, from the Summit School District, I have two. I have uh, Dr. Nathan Parker, superintendent. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you. And Lou Pepe, the business administrator. Welcome, Lou. Good morning, Ray. How are you doing? Good. Um, let, you know, for our listeners, let's give a little rundown of your district. Uh, Jennifer, uh, tell us a little bit about briefly about your district and. Uh, maybe some of the issues that you have with school funding. Sure. Um, as you stated, I'm the president of the Susan Woolwich Board of Education. So in our district, we're a K-6 district, and we send our students to a regional high school. We currently have just shy of 1,800 students, which is significantly more than the 400 students we had in 2000. Uh, Susan Woolwich has been the fastest-growing community in New Jersey. And while we continue to grow, we continue to operate almost $2 million below adequacy, and that's reflected in what we spend per child, which is $8,637 per student. So that's a far cry from the average of 18000 that we're seeing within the state. So, Okay. Uh, Ron, uh, could you tell us about the Orange School District? Uh, yes. We're a former Abbott district. Uh, we are a pre-K to 12 school district. I have seven elementary, one middle, and one high school. Um, uh, we have... Approximately 83% of our uh, students eligible for free and reduced lunch. Uh, we are a, a former Abbott district that was actually that has historically spent under adequacy, and so the funding formula, um, when it is uh, run, uh, is favorable for us. Uh, we were one of the districts that, when the governor was required this year to fund under the Supreme Court order, we did get additional funding, which has allowed us to provide some programs to our students. Uh, we have, again, approximately about 5,000 students in a typical urban area and district problems. Okay, and that's in Essex County, right? Correct. 
Charles, can you tell us about the Hapakon School District? Sure. We're a small um, suburban school district at the south end of um, Sussex County, which is primarily a rural area. I've got about 2,200 students total, three elementary schools, one middle school, and one high school. Um, we've been hit very hard by the implications of this particular funding formula, and uh, to the extent that Sussex County lost 3.3% or $3.5 million overall, my district, Apacong, lost 6.5% of its state aid or $764,000 overall. Um, a few factors that really affect us here in the northwest part of the state is a thing called the geographic cost factor, which automatically reduces our state aid. The fact that many of us are over adequacy, um, I have about a 22 to 24% special education uh, identification in Hapakong, and so I am punished for that because I have more students in need, therefore I get less money. And of course, our attendance in Sussex County has steadily dropped, and that's been part of this perfect storm. So. I do have a bone of contention with the implications of the SFRA formula and what it will do to us. Actually, it's going to bankrupt us in just a few years. Yeah, we'll get to a lot of those details because I was at a meeting in Sussex County, and uh, if, I guess you're representing a lot of the districts in Sussex County right now because they're going through a similar thing depending on their size. Uh, Nathan, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Summit? Yeah, Summit is a, a district of 4,000 students with about a $62 million budget. Um, it's about 12% on free and reduced lunch, 15% Latino, 5% African American, 5% Asian. Uh, it tends to be uh, pretty high achieving. Um, the taxpayers spend up, way over 90%, uh, and there's very little state funding that comes in. So the variations in state funding don't affect us as much as it does those districts that get more state aid. And how did you do this year? We increased about $300,000. All right, and I guess a couple of years ago you probably had to give a, a good number, whatever you had. We lost all of our state aid, and uh, and then they restored it, and then it, it came back to – we got back the combination of what they added back last year plus the little bonus that they put in in the summer. Well, Lou, what was the total amount last, last year? Uh, last year's state aid uh, – before you get and that, we ended up uh, about 1.1 million. 1.1 million out of 62 million. So you can okay. see how the state aid formula, uh, you know, the, the the gripe that people in Summit would have is they don't get more state aid uh, because they have to pay for it all themselves. All right, uh, there's a lot of factors that go into a school funding formula. Uh, I'll one note. Uh, I know one of you is moving a lot of papers around. I think we're picking that up. Uh, That's Mr. Good. Peppy. I'll try to control that behavior. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Jen, I think you mentioned earlier uh, that you're a fast-growing um, – you're the fastest-growing school district in the state. How has this, the funding formula affected you the last – before this year, but uh, how has it affected you being a growing district? Well, I mean, over the over the past decade, I mean, our issue has been a decade span in terms of um, not receiving the adequate um, funding and acknowledgement for our growth. Specifically, you know, this year we did receive for next year $355,531. And the ironic thing is, Ray, that in 2008 our district received $5.8 in state aid. This year, years later, we received $5.5 million. So in those few years we grew by another 300-plus students and we're receiving less aid now than we did then in 2008. Well, I think most districts uh, – actually, let me put that out. Are, are most of you where you were in 2008 in terms Absolutely of funding? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. She brought up a very good point. That's Lou Peppy. In, in 07 08, Ray, the district mm -hmm. received $2.6 million in state aid. In 08 09, it was 2.7, which started the decline the following year. In 9-10, that aid was a 5% reduction or $2.5 million. However, once we got to 10-11, the district lost 100% of the state aid. So we went down to zero. So when you look at this year being at $1.1 million, although it's nice to have some aid back, it's still only 43% of the 2008-2009. What's really important 
is to look at the fact that, like your other uh, speaker, we've steadily grown in enrollment. Over the last 10 years, we're up 1,000 students. So even though we've had rising enrollments year after year, we, we ended up falling far short as far as receiving our portion of state aid. So the enrollment factor is important to you in, in this funding formula. Um, let me articulate Hopakong's position. Uh, yeah, because you have a redu reduced state aid, I mean, a reduced enrollment, right? Charles? Um, yeah, my enrollment has dropped uh, steadily. Probably in the last uh, 10 years, it's dropped several hundred students. But the last three have been the most dramatic. In 10 11, uh, when Governor Christie stepped in, he pulled 13.2% or 1.7 million out of my budget. The following year, we took 1.3 million out of my budget, and in this new formula configuration, another 764,000. So I'm down 3.4 million in three years. Now I can't make that up with a 2% cap. So what do I do? I have to release staff members in order to balance my budget. If you do the math, Ray, how many years is it going to take before there's nobody left to teach in Hopatcom? And you're looking at this for five years, right? If I understand that the 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 loss of adjustment aid uh, is a phase out over five years. Yeah, That's so correct. it's going to be devastating because they took 20% this year, but in the next four years, it's 20% concurrently. So it's it's really really going to hit districts like Hopakong very hard, and we're going to be hard pressed to provide educational services for children, especially children in need. What was your percentage of free and reduced lunch again? In Hopakong, it's about 30%, somewhere in that area. Okay. Ron, um, you probably know that. Sometimes they, it seems from a lot of people that, that the Abbots get everything, all the money that they, they need. Is that, from your perspective, is that true? or? Um, well, you know, I don't. I don't think anybody gets the money that they need. I think we, as a state, need to really address what's going on, and it shouldn't be the haves against the have-nots. But let me say that in many average districts, because um, we are the grounds where um, the new uh, movement is going, so we're fighting against uh, charter schools and others. And we, many of the districts, have lost students. Um, and lost the aid, but it affects the K-12 program because uh, the state is not running the formula the way it should be. So we're getting um, dollars uh, chopped off our budget that are going to, uh, you know, other other uh, it, you know, schools, and so it does affect us. Now, in Orange, we are unique, but because we were spending below adequacy, I have to say that the funding formula has probably been favorable Mm -hmm. to this district because of the uh, spending below adequacy. So last year, uh, prior to the Supreme Court mandate, we received about an extra 400000 But then we were, because the state mandated that, I mean, the Supreme Court mandated that, um, you know, that the governor adjust the budget, uh, we received an additional $7 million. Now, with that, we were able to produce and do programs that um, we think that are needed for our kids. So we opened up a gifted school. We opened up an alternative school. Um, we purchased this uh, needed technology for um, that we were sorely needed in our classrooms um, and some um, other programs like for after school robotics and various different activities for our students. And so we were um, blessed, but we tried to use the money that were mostly in one time um, uh, areas, so we did some things in facilities because we don't know where the budget was going, where it was going. Now this year we received eight hundred thousand, but we lost um, um, about two million dollars in another area, and so we had to actually do some cutting this year. But I hear my colleagues, and um, I, you know, I am support of their position that. Um, you know, all students, you know, in the argument, the state uses the argument that we need to address all students and they should have equitable um, access, but in reverse, um, you know, schools need to be funded properly so that they can actually uh, provide the education that our, all of our children so sorely need. 
I have to agree, and if I can just make a comment, all of Sussex County has really been punished in, with this formula. And 16 of our of our districts have lost money, and Warren County is similar uh, scenario. I, I just don't know how we survive. I mean, it, it's it's the equivalent of taking from the poor and giving to the rich at this point in time. And all of us, the roundtable superintendents in Sussex County, um, are, are incredibly upset with the future outlook for the school districts up here. And, you know, a one-size-fits-all proposition just doesn't work. If the formula is broken, then it needs to be fixed. So I, I appreciate the support I'm hearing from my colleagues. Are you there, Ray? Ray? Uh, Lou? Yeah. Uh, I have a question for Lou. Um, Lou, uh, Ron mentioned that he did okay because he was um, below adequacy. Could you give us an overview of adequacy um, and how it works? Because it's very important to a district as we move forward, whether you're above or below adequacy. Sure. One of the things that uh, they determined when they started with the uh, with the ESFRA was to determine the aid based on two measures. One of them was Property wealth, you know, the formula for wealth equalized, it was allocation of aid according to each of the district's ability to raise enough local share or taxes to support the adequacy budget. And the adequacy budget was predicated on a model for a typical school that the state determined what is the average cost from everything from salaries to administration to supplies and materials. And then they came out with a base cost for, for an elementary school student, which was around $9,649. Then they looked at a 4% escalation for middle school, 17% escalation for high school, and then they had a, a number of weighted formulas for everything to consider at-risk, uh, limited English proficient, a combined cost, and also special education. Once they made that determination, they would take your breakdown of enrollment from your ASSI and they would come up with that model of what they believed was adequate. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we, we've had a number of discussions. Uh, you know, I've, I've been in low-wealth districts. I've been in high-wealth districts. I started out in Sussex County, so I do understand the challenges up there. But the biggest problem became who's real, whose determination of adequacy is really adequate and who wants to have an adequate education in the, in the state of New Jersey, let alone any state in the United States. So our determination was $46 million dollars at the time when our budget was around $60 million. So we're considered a high-wealth district that's spending more than what's considered adequate. Therefore, we will not be eligible for any type of aid that's tied to the adequacy formula. And instead, the only kind of aid that we look at is categorical aid. And, and I think this raises the whole point that uh, what means adequacy. I mean, if we mm -hmm. spent $6 million in Summit, um, you know, people wouldn't be paying what they pay for their houses here, uh, and they wouldn't be getting, you know, art, music, physical education. Uh, you know, All right. Uh, uh, sports, et cetera. Well, stay stay with the adequacy thing yeah, for a I, minute. You, I, mean, I was going to it's, it's that a function of averaging, and and if you look at averaging, there are going to be people below average, and there are going to be people above average. Anybody that has high needs and 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 students like we do in Hopatcong that need uh, special education services are now being punished because we have those high numbers. Well, what do I do? Not teach special education students? I, I can't make them go away. They, they're here. I've got to service their needs. But now as a function of averaging, I'm going to be punished in, in Sussex. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I and think it, that the, is your transportation part, right? my, my, my feeling about the, 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 the bigger philosophical concern, I mean, this mm -hmm. is an 88-page uh, report. Uh, and 83-page report. You're talking about the education funding report, right? Right, right, uh, which I think is a must-read for everybody. Um, That's what I said. And, uh, but, but, the, but the notion that you can incentivize low-income, disadvantaged kids uh, to come to school based on a school funding formula uh, is faulty. In fact, I think it may have a reverse impact because – my experience with a number of low-income families, they don't have the prior knowledge, they don't have 
the kinds of experience. Those kids don't have the kinds of experiences a lot of the high-income kids have. And the prior knowledge allows kids to achieve well in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. So for a district, say, 30% low income, or in Summit where you have 12%, or in Orange where they got 87%, the more the disadvantaged kids, the more the more challenging it is to encourage kids to come to school to understand the value of an education, to understand that they're the longer they stay in school, the more time they spend in school, the, the better off they're going to be economically in the long term. And that's a very tough challenge. And you can't, in some senses, for low-income kids, you have to give more to achieve the same level. So... And then one of the facts of is that the achieve the attendance rate, the lower income for whatever reason you have a lower attendance rate. So if in fact the funding is connected to the attendance rate, which is my understanding of this proposal, that uh, that you, that, uh, that you, you further further uh, discriminate against uh, those districts that have large proportion of disadvantaged kids. Yeah, I want to. I'm going to hold on that point because I want to get back to it. But we have a question, uh, Amory. You're on. Did you have a question from the chat room or a comment? Uh, yes, right. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, Pat is asking um, the following: We are at 60% of what we received four years ago. Just going back a little bit in the conversation. Mm-hmm. The state is saying they are providing a record amount of aid. So where is all the money going? <laughs> uh, uh, does anyone you know, want to Ray? take that one? Uh, actually, I, I think from the governor's perspective, what he would say is that redistribution. Yes, we had the the uh, uh, the stimulus money that was part of the state funding formula four years ago, and then we lost that in two thousand and nine. And he's been putting more money back in state aid, um, but we're pretty much where we were about three or four years ago. He is redistributing the money. Through this formula, though, would everyone agree that there's a little bit of a redistribution of this money? Yeah, from yeah. from my perspective, yeah. Ray, this is Lou. From my perspective, I think it's it's really critical to look at the timeline of what's gone on. Uh, ESFRA, which was in 2008, uh, the Superior Court Judge Peter Doyne had said that that was an acceptable structure in an attempt to secure a thorough and efficient education. Uh, he was actually at odds with uh, Christie administration, I think March of last year, when he was saying that there's a, a breakdown and that they failed to measure up and do that. And that was after Governor Christie's administration took all state aid from a lot of high wealth districts and reduced state aid across the board. I think this is a, a, a move to try and, and amend that through redistribution. But if you read the report, you know, he's focusing on adequacy, or not adequacy, he's focusing on accountability and really using a charge against the achievement gap to give him the ability to do that and hold districts accountable through that attendance rate. And that's what Nathan was talking about. I think that when you look at the reallocation of the resources like any other budget, you know, it's challenging. But one of the biggest problems we face at the district level is the the short timeline or inability to plan based on the way these numbers come out. I mean, the year we lost state aid, we were preparing for the worst-case scenario of 15% reductions, and I think a week prior we had the Commissioner of Ed in here telling us it may be closer to 3 to 5% reduction. A week later we lost 100% state aid. Right. It's really difficult to, to you know regroup in short order and maintain the integrity of your programs because we're we're a business like anybody else. We're in the business of education, and our business is driven by the uh, salaries and benefits of our employees. So the only way you're going to be able to make up a loss of millions of dollars in a short order is getting rid of personnel, and, right. and that's just not going to help. And that's uh, what happened in, in Hapakong. I have to agree with you. Um, you know, when you lose 13% in 2010 11, 10% in 11 12, 6% in 12 13, again, I say do the math. The only way I can balance a budget is to just keep letting people go. And eventually, there's not going to be anybody left to teach. So what he's doing is bankrupting uh, school districts like Hapakong. And was the, was the other concern that you? it's hard to budget when you don't know what your aid's going to be? 
And absolutely, uh, we're in, we're in, we're in an environment where I I suggest to most of my colleagues don't count on state aid. You know, like luckily, as uh, Dr. Parker pointed out, our state aid is relatively small compared to our total budget, so we have that ability. We're we're only receiving about four percent of our total operating budget in state aid. When I was up in Sussex County, our state aid accounted for about 50% of our budget. Right. It's a much bigger impact. Yeah, I would think uh, Mr. Uh, you know, Ron Lee and Jennifer need state aid. Jen, we haven't heard from you in a while. Um, I guess a few years ago, have you been lobbying to get more aid? Because getting lo- increases every year, you must be falling behind, though. Well, we're, I mean, we're significantly behind. I think it was uh, an important point that the, that the chat room person brought up, which was, you know, this was just a redistribution of money. The the, the pot for, for education hasn't gotten any bigger. So for our for our community, you know, a super growth district, our taxpayers have seen over a 250% increase over the past decade, and we're continuing to shift the burden to our residents to make up for the inadequate funding. So coupling that with the explosive growth that we've seen, um, we did. We started lobbying our legislators and the governor's office this journey has been over 650-plus days um, to try to get some type of con- financial consideration for the explosive growth district. There are a handful of us throughout the state that are falling further and further behind. And when this education funding report came out, we were hopeful that the new proposed weighted measures would finally acknowledge districts that are operating below adequacy and experience the extraordinary growth. I mean, that was what was communicated directly out of the governor's office. And quite frankly, that just isn't the case. Under the proposed plan in five years, our district would receive $7.3 million in state aid. Under the SFRA, our district would receive $11.2 million. So what the SFRA would provide us in one year would take five years under the new plan, which means that for our district and for those handful of extraordinary growth districts, we're continuing to play perpetual catch-up. We continue to fall further and further behind. And when Ron mentioned you know, the robotics classes um, and the different um, coaches and, and different um, programs that you're able to bring on. I mean, those are just things in our district. Um, and I'm not trying to pit, you know, I'm not saying pitting one district's ability, um, their resources against another. But, I mean, in our district, spending 8637 a student, I mean, I could only dream of being able to bring in those types of programs. I mean, we should be hiring staff as we continue to grow. Last year in December, we brought on 30 students in 30 days. So we should be able to be bringing on staff when, in reality, we were we were reducing reducing staff over the last few years. And this year, with an increase of state aid of the 355, plus raising our tax levy the 4%, which was using um, all applicable waivers, we were still only able to bring on two positions. That really highlights the fact that we're so severely behind, and we're just trying to plug the holes before the dam just absolutely collapses down here. Uh, Ron, they were mentioning before, and um, one of the proposals out there is to, right now we measure uh, enrollment by a single day. Uh, that would be average daily attendance. There is a lot of concern among some of the, the poorer districts, and actually I, I think even in when I was up in Sussex County, some of the rural districts, that uh, that could affect their funding too. How do you see that uh, affecting your district? Well, let me let me let me first answer the uh, previous comment. I, I agree with her totally. Um, I think there should be, um, um, as we look at how we can adjust uh, what are the needs of districts. There needs to be. I mean, although we looked at it from a, a dollar point of view, as far as adequacy, adequacy be, should be based on programs. If uh, you know, one of the reasons I brought in like robotics and debate because I know other communities have robotics and debate and I wanted to make sure that our students have an equitable program to other students. So there should be looking at programs that, you know, if a high school, if you have a high school, they should have a robotics team. If you have a high school, they should have a debate team. I mean, if you want to look at equity, it also has to be equity in program, not just in dollars. And so, um, so I agree that, you know, a district in, you know, Hapakton or Sussex County shouldn't be um, um, – disadvantaged because um, they're either higher wealth or the number of they have been losing students. The students who remain in the school still need programs and should be funded. Now, with regards to attendance, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a plus and a positive for us uh, in Abbott districts because in most Abbott districts, you know, after October 15th, we always see a growth in enrollment. We don't know where the kids come from, but, you know, after October 15th, we do see 
a growth. So if you look at our October 15th and compare it to what we have in June, usually those numbers are higher. But we do have an attendance problem. Uh, just uh, yesterday I was at a school supervising the testing, and the school had to run home to get a kid, and the kid's laying in bed because the parents would get them up out of the bed to come to school. And so the value of education in urban areas, you know, it's, well, you go to school if you feel like it, and if you don't, you, you go, and if you do, you do. And so there will be an impact if it's based on average uh, attendance. Now, uh, the state has, you know, it's it's a benchmark of 95% and, and various, so um, and 80-something for high school, and we do meet that. Um, but obviously the change in dealing with funding formula, whether a kid comes to school or not, I still need that teacher in the classroom. So okay. if two kids decide not to come to school uh, that day, do I lose funding, but I still have to pay the salary and the benefits and the lights and the custodian and all those other costs because one or two kids decide every day not to come to school. That's just crazy. Yeah, would you, the rest of you agree? I guess what Ron Lee is saying is you budget for 100% of the kids that come in, that's a textbook for every kid, not 95% of the kids. Is that your thinking, Charles, too? Absolutely. And, you know, we're about 94% up here. I think we're doing quite well. But you you have to you have to budget for every student. I agree. I think your 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 people are are making excellent points. Um the frustration here is is down the road. I I I just don't see how we can survive. We can't pass the cost on to the local taxpayer because we've got a 2% tax levy cap. And, you know, inflation is driving fuel oil up. It's driving the cost of textbooks and paper materials up. It's driving lots and lots of costs up, including salaries and benefits and health insurance. So I just don't know how districts in Sussex County and Warren County and, and other outlying areas are going to survive if this formula doesn't change. I, I, we need help here. You know, you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, I mean, I think one thing that I think, although I'm hearing everyone say that their situations are different and, and how these proposed um, plans could affect us, I think one thing we it sounds like we all absolutely agree on and are in the same boat on is that we're not receiving enough aid, right, and that if the SFRA was fully funded, um, we would probably not even be on this call, I'm guessing. So isn't it an important thing to remember that the people that are making these decisions about the future educational opportunities of our students, our kids, um, are the elected officials that we put there. And that said, this process is not meant to happen in a vacuum. I mean, there are over 200 districts that are operating under adequacy, and I think that we're obligated to communicate with our legislators and to Governor Christie to let them know that we're going to hold them accountable to work together in order to fairly fund our schools because enough is enough. I think that we're all, you know, all the, again, all of our messages are slightly different, but the one common theme and one common thread is that we're all not being funded adequately enough. Uh I'll take the the governor or the state legislators. They would probably say we're money's not the issue, uh, and uh, that New Jersey spends more per kid than any other state. Uh, we it's a, over a third of our budget goes to public schools. Uh, I'm giving you we're giving putting you in the budget a significant increase this year. I can't increase the pie any more than I can. Uh, any reaction to that? I have to disagree completely. I, I think money is the issue. Uh -huh. Now, you take money away from me and Hapakong and my colleagues up here in Sussex County. What services do we reduce to children? I mean, it, it's it's a no-brainer for us up here, okay? I, I just don't understand how someone can defend this formula and say it, it, it works across the state when it disproportionately affects communities like all of us up here in Sussex County. Okay. Anyone else on the money situation? Yeah, I think I mean I think money. I mean it's it's easy to money is not everything. Obviously, you could you could have money, but if you don't have a high quality teacher in the classroom, uh, you, uh, you 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 certainly uh, and you're paying the person uh, you know the same level as a high quality person. You're not going to get the same impact. But to get the high quality person in the classroom, you've got to pay them a competitive salary. Summit or Orange or wherever they are, they're going to have to pay a salary that's going to attract and be create a, a, a compensation that's going to be competitive with other places. So, it, it, money you can't if it's good enough for the people in Summit, if it's good enough for the key people in Melbourne, if it's good enough for the people in Ridgewood, it's probably good enough for the people in Hapakon, if I'm saying that correctly, or or in or in Orange or wherever. 
So, I mean, I think one of the notions of parity of funding of the old of the, these court decisions is they demonstrated without any shred of doubt that money can be spent uh, when money you need a certain amount of money to provide a quality, high-level education for the 21st century. If you don't have the money, uh, the money is the starting point. Then you've got to make sure you spend the money properly. I think uh, you make an excellent point. And can I, I just, just want uh, to point out in this formula, some some uh, of us up here in Sussex County are, are suffering because of a geographic cost factor of 0.8%. I, I don't understand that at all. It costs me the same amount of money up here to pay teachers and salaries and fuel oil and everything else I need to run my buildings as it does in Morris County, which is my next-door neighbor. Why is there a, a factor in a formula that assumes I can do it for less money? Doesn't make any sense. Well, uh, Ray, if I can join in, okay, uh, this is Lou. From a from a BA's perspective, in looking at the dollars, I have to say I think that the the governor's group made a made a good argument on uh, right in the beginning on page five of their uh, report when they were talking about the expenditure per student that's tripled to eighteen thousand eight hundred in the Abbott districts, and then I think they measured performance, and that's. That's where they're saying there's no direct correlation between, you know, throwing money at the problem and increasing the test scores or closing or eliminating the achievement gap. And as a, as a money person, I would look at that and I would agree. I think that we do have to be cognizant of how we reallocate resources and especially, as I said before, the timing. To turn around and pull someone's aid in, in 100% within a category overnight is basically what's happened is really problematic. You do not give anybody an opportunity to, to prepare or to put in place strategies to mitigate that loss so that when it is phased in or, or eventually happens, you have a, a better opportunity. I thought Nathan was actually closer to the mark when you talk about, again, running it as a business and trying to attract and retain the brightest out there to really transform change. And that's why I think it's 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 kind of ironic the report goes to talk about talent, identifying talent, attracting talent, and I think we're even going to have talent officers we're starting to talk about now. But yet, at the same time, they start putting out caps like the superintendent cap. And the fact that I'm a business administrator and not a superintendent, I'm not you know, playing to myself, I can tell you right now, I totally disagree with that. That's a bad posture to take in, in any kind of market when you're trying to control costs like that. It's like putting price controls on. It didn't work during the Nixon administration. It's certainly not going to work for superintendents. It's going to simply erode the base of attractable, knowledgeable individuals that want to stay in the field. Interesting point. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, uh, or a lot of bit, I guess. Uh, Ron, one of the things, and uh, I think uh, Dr. Parker has been talking about the education funding report, which I think Lou uh, summed up the commissioner's views very well. Um, that it's not it's how we spend the money is more important f from the commissioner's perspective than how much money you receive. But one of the things that they talk about, and this would uh, I think directly impact your district, is looking at how we measure at-risk students. And actually, I think yes. it's going to affect a lot of districts. Um, mm -hmm. The free and reduced lunches come under some criticism from some incidents in a couple districts. How do you measure free and reduced lunch, and do you feel that it's uh, I guess being under scrutinized fairly. Uh, I, I I just think it's a ploy um, again to try to reduce the number of dollars in education. Um, if the federal, uh, you know, we we all follow the federal mandate. Now, if there's an issue with the federal mandate as to what determines free and reduced lunch, then that's not our call. That has to be addressed at the federal level. Um, I don't know what other method that can be used, and I'm not necessarily opposed to any other method. Does that mean that you're going to redistribute state aid dollars or reduce state aid dollars because, you know, students are, are socially, economically disadvantaged? Um, as Nathan said earlier, um, and I can attest to, these students do need additional resources. I don't think anybody's arguing that. And wherever the student may be, um, that's a country issue. When you have um, um, a concentrated pocket of socially economic uh, disadvantaged students, um, they have issues and you get lower test results. But does that mean you reduce state aid? 
to the schools. I say, and what I've been saying to my community, I say to legislators, you know, you have to go and fix the problem in the community. You know, when you have high unemployment and high crime rate and kids think that it's a better to stand on the corner and sell products versus coming to school and how do you change the minds of, you know, I say I'm educating two generations, the adults and the kids. I have to change the adults and how they think about education. But there are no dollars that go to those type of programs because I guess they're social programs. But it's not just an orange problem. It's not a Newark problem. It's not a New Jersey problem. This is a country problem. And so, you know, we can sit back and say, well, we throw so much dollars there and we're not getting the results. Well, you know, I say it like this, and my charge is I'm trying to save every kid here and uh, get every kid prepared to go to college if they want to go to college, and I think that's all of our charge. And so, um, you know, I think the, the conversation about money, and I'm in the former Abbott district, and I'm saying it, a conversation about money, no, money is not everything. You know, for some of these kids, it's, you know, just, you know, taking, uh, you know, just caring about them or exposing them to the various opportunities out there. And when I meet with foundations and philanthropic uh, communities, I don't ask them for money. You know what I ask them for? I ask them, let me take a field trip uh, to your to your organization and talk about your business and talk about the activities that you do and your products that you sell and all the internship possibilities so that the kids say, wow, I never thought about being an accountant or a lawyer or going into the field of, you know, watchmaking. Because that opens the eyes for kids. Mm. Uh, let, me say, let me give a take on the free and reduced lunch just for a second. I think it's uh, it, it's probably the you know from what I can tell about the best way to try to get some measure of of educational disadvantage. I, w- I worked in a former Abbott district. Uh, I formerly worked in a former Abbott district, and the biggest challenge there was frankly getting those who were entitled to it to actually sign up for it. Uh, the, the notion that you know that there's a lot of abuse, uh, at least where I worked, uh, is is com- completely uh, un- untrue. And the the biggest, and you could see it with younger kids, you could get most of those kids to participate in the program and maybe wow. get them to come in for a breakfast program, et cetera. But as kids got into high school, even though they were entitled to free and reduced lunch, they would not, and nor, nor would their parents actually sign up for it. So one of the big challenges, frankly, is, and this is, goes again to the notion of helping those who are uh, economically disadvantaged to learn how the system works so that they can avail themselves of what, what is available. So I think that the whole notion, from what I can tell, the free and reduced lunch is about the best uh, it may be imperfect, and there may be, you know, obviously there's some cases of abuse that we've seen, but I have a feeling that those are pretty rare. Yeah, um, Charles, uh, in on you have a fairly significant number. Do you feel it's a fairly accurate count? I do, but I agree with, the, with what was just said. It, it is difficult. Look at the semi uh Reimbursement. You know, it, it's it's really hard to get people uh, below the poverty line to to make certain commitments to you in writing, and and uh, as a result, we we struggle to get kids into some some of our programs. Yeah, Jennifer, I don't know what your what's your percentage of free and reduced lunch. Uh twelve percent. Twelve percent. So probably, uh, do you know in your district is it a problem getting people to sign up, or you're not sure? You're a K six, yeah. right? We're we're K six. We're K six. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a pretty accurate representation of the number of students that would qualify and are signed up. Okay. Right. Let, let, let me let me add uh, to that. This is Ron again. Okay, Ron. Um and I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on what Nathan said. In many districts, specifically urban districts, and if you're in a district that has a high Latino population because they don't trust um filling out uh forms and in some districts because it's connected to free and reduce, or it's connected to lunch, they see it as the lunch application, and some parents say, yeah, you know, kids say, I don't want the lunch, and so they don't fill it out. I'm telling you that probably, based on the federal guidelines, there are more kids eligible than actually fill out the form, and so the actual number is probably higher in many districts. And would you all agree that, that those kids bring uh, more needs to the, uh, to the school? I think especially at the high school. I mean, the high school is where they typically drop off, 
in the high school is where you because then you lose funding because you can't get those kids to sign up for the free and reduced lunch. So that's that's the imperfect part of it. And Ray, from my perspective as a BA, I think in the in the urban settings and the low wealth districts, it's actually understated. Absolutely, right. and the stigmatism associated with filling out the form or trying to qualify is is problematic. I think in the higher wealth districts, I think one of the things that's always been a concern is the verification process is a little bit lax. You're only allowed to pull X amount of applications to verify without considering, you know, without being considered targeting. You know, the 37% that was put forward in that report of uh, fraudulent enrollees, you know, start looking at a magnitude of scale. If you had 10,000, that'd be 3,700. If you had 100, it's only 37. So it's it's a big it's a big deal, but I think it's actually understated in the low wealth districts, not not overstated. So it might be something that they think they know the answer on it, but when they look at it closely, it may may not be the answer that, that they planned on getting. Right, I'm here. right. And, and the other the last point I want to say about that is Nathan brought a very good perspective to the district when we both arrived here, having come from an Abbott. And as, as a BA, you want to go out there and make sure that you get all of your potentials enrolled because you see the direct correlation to higher state aid. If you, if you do not do that, you're leaving potential money on the table. So instead of turning around and trying to take people off the rolls, we should be trying to make sure that we have everybody that is eligible on the rolls, and that will also net out to be you know, more funding. Charles, did you want to add federal funding that brings yeah, more federal aid into the state of New Jersey? Okay. I, I have to agree with everyone's making a very intelligent argument, but I think this uh, free and reduced is, is just a distraction. What we really have to focus on, and someone stated it earlier, is we're really not receiving enough state aid to do what we need to do. That's the problem no one wants to face. I think politically that would be difficult uh, to get more state aid from the – well, the, the administration know, right now. It's, it's politically difficult, but let's, let's do what's right for children, and and that's what's not being done. You see, mm -hmm. and and we're feeling it up here in Sussex County, and I, and I have to tell you, Ray, something has to be done to to reverse course on this, or you're going to start to bankrupt some school districts. There's absolutely no question in my mind that that train has left the station and it's heading down the track. And Ray, Chuck's point is is right on the money because in the years where we had uh, been held harmless, so to speak. Every year I would sit there and say, you know, oh, we didn't lose any state aid. Sure you did, because your expenses continue to rise, even though they're telling you that they're going to hold you harmless and give you the same amount of state aid you had the year before. Every year that represents less of a percentage of revenue against all of your expenditures. And a lot of those expenditures that we didn't talk about are mandates, that we have no way of cutting out of our budget so it just makes it more problematic. And even when we started getting state aid back and everybody gets excited, you know, I turn around and said, well, consider the fact that, yeah, we're getting a million dollars of state aid. We had zero last year, but we're still well below the $2.7 we used to get. That's a big difference in a relatively short time period. So the, the answer I'm hearing from everyone is that the pie is not big enough. And so redistributing it, to help Jennifer, who has increased enrollment, is very good for her. But for uh, Hapacon, that may uh, undercut your programming. Right. Well, for all of Sussex County, and, and that's the point. You, you just can't redistribute the money and have it be fair. It's not. It's not fair. It, it's going to harm someone. And we're not in the business of harming children. We're supposed to be in the business of helping children. Well, isn't this then the opportunity for all of us? I mean, since we're saying that. I mean, I think we we. We've come to the point now where we've come full circle and said, okay, money is the issue. It might not be um, the only issue, but it is certainly the most, um, it's the highest up on our priority list. So since we, we recognize that, isn't this the time then that we should make sure um, that we actually receive it? Like these proposed changes in the education funding report, do they really meet any of our needs? Do they meet all of our needs? I can tell you that from Fusebro Woolwich's perspective um, and the super growth district, it certainly does not. I mean, we're millions of dollars below. and the gentleman that made the comment about how you're right, when you're held harmless um, or or you only receive a small amount, you're typically grateful. Oh, my goodness, they didn't reduce us or they only gave us a, a, a small percentage increase. But 
that that is not nearly what you should be receiving should the the, far, the formula be fully funded. So, I mean, are we gonna are we gonna let them pass this? I mean, are we going to sit by and allow them to make changes once again that don't properly fund the schools? Uh, great, point. interesting question. Uh, Tell us what to do. Because uh, well, short I mean, of well, seceding I mean, from New Jersey and joining no, Pennsylvania no, no. or New York, I, I'm throwing my arms up in the air here and saying, you know, it's only a matter of time before we have such a devastating impact on, on, on teaching and learning that we can't deliver uh, a thorough and efficient education anymore. Chuck, but you're right. I think we can't throw our hands up in the air. I think, I mean, down in Seasborough Woolwich, you know, like Ray had um, alluded to earlier, you know, it's been over 650 days. And it's been arduous and cumbersome and time-consuming, but we have bipartisan support from our mayors, our county freeholders, um, all of our elected officials have gotten on board and said, you know what, enough's enough down here. I mean, we're a small pocket in Gloucester County that has been hit particularly hard because we've had this extraordinary growth, and everyone's circumstances are different. You have, um, you know, the issue where that 0.8% in the formula is not doing your particular district justice. But, I mean, we all have those issues, and it's our job to communicate with our elected officials um, that this is this is not the answer and that we're not going to stand by and, and not hold them accountable. I think we have to hold them accountable. Uh, uh, Chuck, with on, if you had the adjustment aid or if uh, you were held harmless or even uh, <coughs> it was suggested in Sussex County that instead of doing it over a five-year period, maybe make that a 10-year period because – then the reductions wouldn't be so draconian each year. Would that be something that would at least help you a little bit more than the huge cuts each for the next five years that you're going to be receiving? It would be it would be helpful, but but how do I make that up? That's the question, and I can't I can't pass it on to the local taxpayer. I've got this two percent tax levy cap. Now, as long as fuel oil and electricity and supplies and salaries and benefits and health insurance, as long as those numbers continue to rise well above two percent. The only answer for Hopakong and the rest of Sussex County is to start cutting teachers, and, and you can only do that until you reach a tipping point, and now you're in real trouble because you're not delivering adequate educational services to children. You see the well, frustration. Me, uh, you know, I'm going to hold off on it. We have a question coming in. Beth, you have a question on yeah. costs for people? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm hearing a lot of talk about delivering adequate services and that type of thing, and I'm just wondering, I heard some mention about costs for people in one of the districts. Could everybody state what is their cost per pupil to get kind of a, a greater, I guess, grasp of what is happening out there? Are there large disparities? <coughs> okay. Uh, Jennifer, why don't you tell us? In your case, I'll, I'll, they have to explain their district a, a little bit. Jen, could you tell us what your cost per pupil is about? Sure. Um, our current cost per pupil is $8,637. Uh, and it continues uh, to decline because of the extraordinary uh, growth that we continue to receive. Yeah, you keep adding a lot of students per year. So what was it four or five years ago? Uh, well, two years ago it was 9647 uh, All right, so you keep adding students and, you, and you're falling behind. Uh, Ron, what's your cost per pupil? Uh, 158 15 8 okay. Uh, and uh, Chuck, have a pack on. I'm about 13, but, you know, the, the larger issue is, you know, 50% of that state funding goes to, to the Abbots, and that's fine. They need it, but, you know, at the expense of rural districts, and, and we just can't continue this way and, and survive. Okay, and uh, Dr. Parker or, or it's, Lou? It's uh, 14,500, 14, and it's been consistent for the last uh, two years. We've had 0% increases for the last two years. In our budget. In our budget. Okay, so you're all actually in the same range. Uh, I think uh, well, an Charles was thirteen. Uh, actually, Jennifer actually was well below, um, and I know she she would love to be at thirteen or fourteen right now. Uh, I can imagine what we could do with thirteen. The efficiencies that we have in place with thirteen. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, we we mentioned it earlier. We're getting actually towards the end, but how's the geographic? Because uh, I know in uh, Sussex County that's been a real problem. It probably isn't a problem in some of the areas. Uh, Jennifer, is there what's your geographic cost? Do you know that one? I don't. No, I don't okay. know that. Uh, Ron, you're probably in a no. high cost county, I would assume. Yeah, answers, but I don't know what the actual factor is. Okay. Uh, uh, Lou, what about in uh, Summit? Yeah, we're know? we're high wealth. We're uh, I think at I district. So and the county is pretty high cost county too. 
Yeah. Yeah, so that was only more of an issue in Sussex County at this point. Um, you know, can I just the, mention, Ray, can I just mention one data point going back to some of the earlier part of the conversation about huh. the connection between quality of staff and b- ability to select staff and attract staff to districts and right. how that connects with, you know, working conditions and money. Um, when I was working, formerly when I was working in a, a, a former Abbott district, uh, I, I had the opportunity to uh, recruit a middle school assistant principal. I never had more than 15 applicants for that position. Uh, I've done two searches for middle school assistant principals in Summit, and for each of those, I've had over 300 applicants per pers- per per uh, per per uh, uh, recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make the point to say that the districts where there are a lot of disadvantaged kids, we need to be able to attract really more staff to uh, apply for those jobs, so the positions can be filled quickly and. And can and and there's and less staff turnover, which comes back to really kind of creating not only equal pay in a sense, or maybe more pay in those districts, but also uh, creating conditions where people really want to work. Uh, so I just have to say that uh, coming back to this whole thing, that money actually does matter, and uh, it really enables you to do things that you couldn't do if you didn't have the money. Okay. Um, you know what? We're, we're getting towards the end. What I'm going to do is I'll, I'll, I'll go around the table and have everyone uh, give uh, some their final thoughts on where we should be going with the with school funding. Uh, Jen, I'll start with you in the beginning. I'll start with you again. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Um, I guess just coming back to the fact that we all recognize that money is the issue, and I think you know down in our district, we're you know we instituted the fair funding. Action Committee, this committee is made up of bipartisan local officials, and we've been banding together. I think we don't necessarily always recognize how influential our voices can be in these school communities uh, if we partner up with our elected officials. So I think it's important that all the districts do that, considering there are so many that are currently operating below adequacy. Our district is having a rally on May 8th. Um, It's a fair funding rally where we're going to be asking the state, particularly um, you know, the governor to take a look at what's happening down in our community and to give us some financial consideration for the extraordinary growth that we've received. And I think we just need to be aware of the influence that we can have because we ha- we are charged with a, a great um, a great responsibility, and that's educating our children. So I think we should we should lobby as intensely as we can. Okay, and I, I do know that you almost got that passed through the. We did get it passed through the Senate in the Assembly last year, a bill to help. Uh, it just was never signed by the governor. Uh, Ron, what about for uh, your district and your thoughts, final thoughts? Well, I, I, I think the conversation is first fund the formula. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's basically what everyone's uh, uh, concern is. Uh, the state has not funded the formula and fund the formula. Now, after that, it may, um, you know, um, still have uh, continued conversations about whether what's adequate or what not. Uh, but uh, my thing is fund the formula because even under the formula or the way it's run now, um, I'm still leaving you know five six million dollars on the table mm-hmm. uh, because the formula is not funded. And so uh, you know the politicians can play all of the the games and the shuffling of the shells and do whatever. But uh, I think most districts would be. A, a financially better off if just the fund if the formula was funded. Okay, Chuck, uh, could you be uh, brief too? Because I'm getting to the end. Yeah, I think you know my sentiments. The formula yeah. is clearly flawed. Uh, Senator uh, Oroho and Assemblyman Chisano and Macos all agree with that. They're trying to do the best they can. But you know, take a look at this task force. Uh, there are no active superintendents. There are no BAs on the uh, funding formula task force. In fact, I don't see anybody on there that's employed in education or public it's education. Political. So I don't, I don't think we stand a chance unless there's there's a full blown revolt here. So I leave you with that, and that's okay. what it's going to come to. Okay, do, uh, in about thirty seconds, Dr. Parker and Lou. Yeah, th- thanks for having us on the program. I think it's an important discussion. I think it's scratching the surface. Yes. Well, thanks. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for joining uh, joining me, and I think this actually maybe we should have more conversations like this. Uh, I, I heard a couple of themes here uh, that we should be working together and not separating districts, 
and that maybe the pie is not large enough to provide the education we need in this state. Um, I'd like to thank all five of you for joining me and for anyone who listened to it. I think it was a very interesting discussion. And if you want to join, our next show will be May 11th, and we'll be talking about a totally different subject. We'll be talking about how to save money on school technology uh, as you go through the year. And uh, thanks for joining Conversations on the New Jersey Education, and thank you to my guests. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Ray. Uh,